so grateful for the Lord and his goodness and his grace, his presence, his power, his dominion, his authority, his justice, his healing. So grateful that he is the Alpha and the Omega, that he is the beginning of it all, and he is the completion, the end of it all. So grateful for his Holy Spirit's presence and his Redeemer who gives us our great hope. The circumstances surrounding David when he wrote the 34th Psalm are unique to him, but God's response was not unique. And what I mean by that is that God's character demonstrated in his response is the same character that is demonstrated in all of our urgent needs. He responds according to who he is. So God is attentive. And because God is attentive, he hears David's cry and he hears our cries as well. And God is compassionate such that he delivered David from his fears and troubles, and so he will deliver us as well. And God is present, so he drew near to David, and God draws near to those who are in need, and he saves us and heals us in our brokenheartedness. And God is strong, so he became a haven for David, and he is also the refuge for us who take shelter in him. And God is good, so he responds in his goodness for David and for us who fear him. And when he's talking about fear there, he's not talking about a quaking, shaking fear, although that kind of reverence is good. He's talking about having that measure of understanding of God and then responding to it with great worship, with great obedience and great trust. And so our faces radiate because we trust him and worship him and obey him. Today we're focusing on the 34th Psalm. Next week we'll pick up half of it. We'll focus on the first 10 verses today and we'll pick up the latter half next week. And just focusing on these first 10 verses, I want to just move towards some divisions that are easily seen here. It's first that David just gives a great expression of worship. It's one of my favorite parts of the psalm. He just expresses worship in the first three verses or so. And then from that, he gives testimony, beginning in verse 4. He just testifies what he knows about his personal experience with God and what God has done in his life. And then he calls for others to experience God. He petitions them to experience him and express the experience as well. So I'd like to focus in on those three divisions there in the first 10 verses and put it in an active way for you and me to grab hold of the truth and begin to exercise in it. The first is this that you and I would express worship to God. Your heart is going to worship. God has made all of mankind to be worshipers. David understood this, and he determined that he was going to worship God. And so he says, I will bless the Lord. He has a determination about him. If you're one to underline, you might underline or circle, I will, because he's making a statement about what he is determined to do. I will bless the Lord. The Lord, as you know, is in all caps there, which means it's signifying his great majestic name, the almighty name, Yahweh. It is the all-sufficient God that is he's speaking of here, the eternally existent God 
And he says, him I am determined to bless. So David is resolved to bless the Lord, Yahweh, and he made up his mind to do so. He's made up his mind based on the testimonial, the experience that he has of God. He's determined for the rest of his days that he is going to praise and bless God. Humankind has a tendency to bless the creations of God, but David has a shift in his thinking. He's not blessing the creations. He's blessing the Creator. And he's saying, I will bless him. And it's not just that he's going to bless him, but he's going to bless him aloud, continually. I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praise will continuously be on my mouth. So he's making a determinative statement, and he's telling you how long he's going to do it and how often he's going to do it. He's going to say it's going to be all the time, and it's going to be from my mouth. Because words come from our heart the overflow of our heart is expressed in the words of our mouth. What we talk about a lot is what our heart has been given to. If you're talking a lot about your possessions or your money, then that's what's got your heart, and it will come out of your mouth, or out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. If it's about you, you'll talk about you a lot. If it's about your career path if that's the most important thing in your life that's what's going to come out of your mouth that's that's what you're going to talk about a lot for David it was my heart is given to God and I can't help but talk about him all the time it's a continuous flow of praise that I have determined to make and praise is meant to be uttered it's meant to have sound and words to it in fact I would say it's less praise when we don't utter sound with it we don't utter words with it. If you go to your favorite band's concert and you hear that band play music that you love and you like the songs and particularly one stands out, you're going to stand and you're going to make noise and you're going to cheer and you're going to applaud because praise really ought to have sound and words to it if you're at Bryant Denny or Jordan Air, you're at Burgess Snow Field, and your team does something well. You're going to praise them with words and with sound. I mean, nobody's at a concert among their favorite artists and hear some of their favorite songs and sit silently in the chair thinking, I'm thinking praise thoughts. <laughs> Nobody has their team make a touchdown while they're sitting in their seat thinking, I'm sending claps to you in my mind. Nobody does that. Because praise is meant to have words. It's meant to have sound. So why is there a disconnect with the praise of God? Why is it that we don't utter words of praise continuously? Why is it that it is not that we make sound to Him in our praise? Why is it that we all seem to have this hindrance about making our expressions known in praise? Now, I'm not saying that there's not time that we ought to be reverent before God and quiet before God. In fact, there are times that he says, be still, be quiet before me. But I'm telling you, David came to a conclusion when he reckoned God's work in his life, he said, his praise will be in my mouth continuously because I've made a determination I will bless him. And that's where we ought to be. Blessing the Lord continuously. And it is to be with our whole 
soul. He says, from his soul. I think he's referring to the whole being. I think we bless the Lord and we praise the Lord and we worship the Lord with our mind and with our emotions. And they ought to be in that order. That's not the way Western Christendom often does it. Oftentimes it's meant to be an emotional stirring that moves people to worship. Boy, that's a cheap way to go. Instead, David says, no, no, this is what I know about God. This is what I know about Him and the counsel of His Word. This is what I've experienced. I've meditated on these things, and I know this to be true. It is in my heart. It's in my being. And I am intellectually engaged in that and emotively praising Him because I've determined to do it. And so when we sing amazing songs like taste and see and they're so deeply rooted in the scripture sure they engage your emotion and they should but it ought to be that your mind has engaged that truth you've thought about that truth and what it is to have christ jesus as your redeemer and your rescuer who comes alongside of you and you express that with great emotion and that's the way it ought to be you do it out of the truth and so david says i'm going to do this from all of my soul and so he says when we engage in that kind of worship it impacts other people when you determine to bless God and you do it with words and you're communicating the blessings of God aloud and you do it from the depth of your soul other people are going to be impacted and so he is certainly impacting others in fact calling for others to do it he expresses this praise and then he turns it to the people around him and he says oh magnify the lord with me let us exalt his name together he encourages them to do the same it's partly what we do on sunday mornings that's why it's so important that we get together on sunday mornings to have corporate worship together so that we hear the songs and we hear the proclaiming and we receive them we hold them we cling to them and we begin to bless each other by communicating them in a way that it encourages those of us who are humble in heart the humble have a real need to know the glory of God and David says it's the humble when they hear these expressions of praise that they are encouraged for they are glad to know that there is a sovereign God who is just and who is righteous and they will be delighted to know that there is a deliverer who is attentive to people compassionate towards them present for them strong towards them and good towards them so bless the Lord when you're in the middle of the struggle bless the Lord determined to praise the Lord people are watching people are listening and those who are humble will be encouraged by your blessing it's good for you and it's good for them so first David says bless the Lord and then secondly I think what he reveals to us in this psalm is that we ought to share testimony about God he does that in verses 4 through 7 Verse 7 specifically states that David was embattled. We assume it is people who are haters of righteousness who have come against him. We don't know the details. I could, I could make some attempts to guess at what the details are. There are many times in Scripture that his hardships are identified and talked about in great narrative form. But I don't know which one he's talking about in this particular psalm. 
Whatever it is, he needed the Lord's intervention. He was filled with fear. He was in a desperate place in his life. And in that state, he called out to the Lord, and the Lord answered him and delivered him from his fear and set him free from the trouble that he was in. In fact, verse 7, David just gives a real simple testimony. It comes down to two words, God intervened. And isn't that the testimony for all of us? I mean, sure, the narratives change. Sure, your story is different from my story, but it all has a common denominator, and that is wherever we found ourselves, God intervened. Where he found me in the mess of my sin, where he found me on a pathway of more sin, where he found me at a place of rebelliousness, where he found me on a road to hell, God intervened. That's the story of our lives who have been delivered that God intervened. Now, specifically, David says, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. So those who have a reverence for God, who worship him, who obey him, who draw near to him, he says the angel of the Lord encamps around him. Can I just tell you, what David is visualizing there is Jesus set his tent up right in the midst of the tragedy he encamped right there so if David is looking around and the enemies has, have surrounded him and he thinks there is no way out of this situation and he looks to his right or he looks to his left and he finds that Jesus setting up his tent right there and Jesus is saying that I am going to be with you now some would argue that this is not Jesus the angel of the Lord. I think it is. Maybe the Lord Jesus will set me straight one day in heaven. But I've seen him do this many times before. Historically, through the scripture, we find Jesus doing this kind of thing. Moses has gone on to be with God. And the leader coming up behind him is Joshua. Joshua was really concerned about himself as the leader of the people. And God spoke to him multiple times. You remember what the common message was? Be of good courage. Be strong. Have courage. And as they were crossing into this land that God had promised to them, I can imagine that Joshua was pretty concerned because their first battle is going to be a fortified city called Jericho. You think Joshua had some doubts about him as a leader? On the way to Jericho, Joshua meets up with the angel of the army of the Lord, the commander of that army. It's Jesus, the pre-incarnate Jesus. And he is standing there with the sword drawn and in his hand. And he lets him know, hey, Joshua, I'm going into battle. That's pretty amazing stuff, isn't it? That it's not just Joshua going ahead, I'm going to take care of things. He says, no, no, no. I'm going to be in the battle. I'm going to be in the midst of you. He appeared similarly to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Uh, you probably remember them by the name that was given to them by a pagan, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they have been sentenced to death by execution the fiery furnace and there Jesus 
was in the midst of the fiery furnace with them. And Daniel, who was sent to execution as well, cast him to the lions. And then you find Jesus, the pre-incarnate Christ, right there spending the night with Daniel in the den of lions, keeping their mouths closed. So David, in a very difficult position, finds himself in need of rescue. And he sees that Jesus has set up his tent right there in the midst of his trouble. And in that, he is delivered. And the fear that once gripped him now dissipates, and it is replaced with joy. Can I ask you, what are your most challenging days? What has been and what is that? Can you be certain that Christ will be there with you in the midst of that? Oh, yes. You can be certain of that. When did he encamp in your presence? When has he chosen to dwell in your situation? I know that for all of us who have come to faith in Christ, he drew near to us while we were sinning. He drew near to us when there was no way to face holiness no way to stand against the just God of the universe. He drew near to us and he provided for us. He took our sin upon himself and he died with it with God's penalty against that sin. And he gave us new life. That's the time that he delivered me. That's my testimony that God came to my rescue. What about you? And then the third section of this psalm is that he calls others to know him, to experience him, and to express his goodness. So David shared in the psalm his knowledge of God and his experience with the Lord. And then he expresses that praise and worship, but he also calls on us and others to do the same. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Come, let us exalt his name together. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. He's recognizing this is my experience and I'm calling for you to share in your experience as well and magnify God and bless God. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Because I don't like condiments, I have been misidentified as being a picky eater. <laughs> Honestly, I'm not a picky eater. When I was a kid, I was a picky eater. I just, I like all kinds of food. I just don't like the stuff that you guys add to your food. Ketchup, mustard, pickles, mayonnaise, that kind of stuff. Some of you, uh, the cooks of your house, are not quite good enough to not add those things. The cooks in my house are good enough to not to have those things. And as I make my peanut butter jelly sandwich for lunch. Uh, so anyway, I have this, this identity as being a picky eater. It's untrue. Untrue. If you're a dad, you have two things in your life that are most important to you. Number one, train up your child in the way he should go so when he's old, he won't depart from it. And number two, get your kid to taste every food that his mother puts on his plate before he dislikes it or says, I don't like it. That's the two things that God says of you. 
And my dad took that as the command of God. Son, you have to try everything on your plate. You don't have to eat it all, but you've got to try everything. But I don't like it. You don't know you don't like it until you try it. Dad, I didn't like it last night or the night before. I'm sure I'm not going to like everything on your plate. You've got to try one bite of everything. Anybody else have a dad like that? It's just an unwritten code that dads do that kind of stuff. To my regret, I did the same thing to my own kids. What my dad thought was that somehow I would try one of those things and say, oh, I like that. Thank you, Dad. Thank you for making me try that. I don't remember that ever happening. I could be Harry Houdini, put the food in my mouth, swallow it down with it, never touching my tongue. How about you? Or I could take it with sleight of hand, wipe it into my napkin, put it into my pocket. They would never know the difference. When David says, oh, taste and see, what he's saying is, try it. He knows the goodness of God. Taste it. Just try it. Now, it's unlike food because you and I have tastes that are different. I don't like tomatoes, and I don't like boiled okra. Anybody in here like boiled okra? Fried okra, sure. Boiled okra, nasty. I can remember, traumatized as it is, the memory of going through Morrison's cafeteria. <laughs> People in hairnets serve you please serve you please serve you please somebody ahead of me in line I want some of that rake that tomato and boiled okra and pick it up and it's just streaming off anybody ever and just nastiness they're about to ingest I just got a nauseating sweat that came over my whole body how about you it's not like that because some of us weird like tomatoes and okra boiled together others of us can't stand it but the goodness of God is not based on an opinion it's not based on the flavors of our mouth or the savoriness of our bodies the goodness of God extends across the board in all ways in an unparalleled way it is unchanging it doesn't move with the flavors that people like or dislike the goodness of God applies in all people all the same and so what the psalmist says if you just taste it if you just try it you will see he is good some of you are in this room today and you're tasting you're checking it out and I am so glad that you are. Maybe some of you are watching online right now, listening to a podcast, watching the streaming of the service, or going back to it, and you're just testing it. You're just tasting it. I say, taste it. Check it out. Open that Bible and read it. 
Find the identifying character of God and praise Him for it. Discover the truths about God and discover the narratives that are in that Bible. Taste it, try it, and you'll see that the Lord is good. Some of you are tasting and you're sensing the heaviness of your sin and you're tasting what it might be like that God would take that sin off of you, take the weight of judgment off of you and trade it for the joy of salvation. Some of you are beginning to taste that. What would it be like to be before a holy God and know for certain that his son has declared righteousness over you? You're beginning to taste that and you're seeing that it is good I pray that that's the case. For that knowledge is going to turn into your salvation, to the glory of God. And then the praise will begin to come, and the acknowledgement will flow. You won't be able to keep it quiet. If it's genuine in your heart, it will come out. And others around you will be affected in a great and powerful way. So as we come to a conclusion of this first part of Psalm 34, I think there are four things going on in people's minds in this room. Number one, some of you need to experience the salvation of the Lord. You're far and removed from Him. You're distant from His holiness. You're going your way rather than His way, and He's the creator, the sustainer, and the judge of His creation. And today, you're reckoning that there is a salvation opportunity for you. I pray that you will experience the salvation of God. Secondly, others of you are in need of encountering the deliverance from the Lord. I don't know what's going on in your lives. Some of you I do. Some of you are in dark places. Some of you are surrounded by enemies. Others of you, disease has gripped you. Depression pulls at you, and you need deliverance. And the same God who came to David is here today. He's setting his tent up right there in the midst of your struggle. Some of you have experienced the salvation of the Lord and you have experienced the deliverance of God and now you ought to espouse that. You ought to proclaim that. You ought to proclaim the praise, espouse the testimony of God's goodness to other people. Tell your story and your story is going to be varied depending on who you are, but it all comes down to this conclusion. God intervened. God redeemed. God delivered. God made the difference. Tell your story. Let others be encouraged by your story. And others just need to express the praise of God. Some of you need to have a determination. I will bless the Lord. His praise will be continually in my mouth. I will worship Him and I will praise Him. So which of the four do you find yourself in? And would you respond? according to what the Spirit of God is calling you to respond.